Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Holly Fry. And I'm Tracy V. Wilson. We're still in the middle of a pandemic. We are. Uh, we, are. We, we have been talking about what this strange thing is to be living in the middle of a pandemic. And also what a strange thing it is as two people who study history and have studied pandemics. Uh, so we're having a little departure from our normal show today where uh, Tracy and I are going to kind of talk about this whole thing that we're all living through from the perspective of people that study history, but also just experientially what has been going on and, mm-hmm. and what we are all dealing with. Cause it's a very strange time fraught, much panic going on. Yeah. We'll talk maybe towards the end about what isolation has been like. Cause I, I've been sort of marveling at how differently it's played out for people that I know in my life and certainly talking to my therapist a lot about it. So <laughs> But first, um, like we're we're in this unique position, clearly, where we have a front row seat to history being made. But you don't always realize it when it starts that you're part of a historical event. So what I'm curious about to start with, Tracy, is do you remember when you first heard about what eventually became known as COVID-19, but first was just coronavirus? Yeah, uh, I think I had heard about there being some kind of novel coronavirus circulating in China um, either late, late, late 2019 or the very beginning of 2020. Um, Because I I start my day off every day by looking at a whole bunch of stuff online as I'm kind of getting my thoughts together. And some of it's fun stuff, uh, but it also includes multiple news sites. So pretty much every morning I'm looking at the Boston Globe, the New York Times, the Washington Post, uh, the Atlantic and Slate. Those are things that I look at every morning. And so I am really sure that in the early days of what was happening in China, I was at least aware that something was happening. And then I started keeping very close tabs on it because of my own planned travel that was coming up in March. (laughs) Um. I want to talk about that in a minute. Oh, I'm eager to. <laughs> um, I I do because there are a lot of questions that I know people have had, and uh, I'm I'm curious what your thoughts are. Uh, I feel like I kind of knew there was something brewing, and then it became really, really obvious because I went to L.A. for the podcast awards. And came back with the worst flu of my life. Oh, yeah. And that was in January. And of course, everyone was like, did you catch that weird virus that came over from China? And I'm like, I don't think so. Um, I don't know. (laughs) We had no idea really anything about it at that point on U.S. soil. Um, I will say that I have never taken a week off of work because I couldn't move before. Yeah. Um, which that was, but there are also a lot of gross flus that run, went around this year. So yeah, it, it could have just been one of those. I don't have any idea and never will. Yeah. I know multiple people who got like a diagnosed confirmed with a test influenza this year, many of whom had also gotten a flu shot. Um, so that like wasn't necessarily a predictor of whether people were getting the flu or not. The one time that I have had influenza as an adult, 
That's the sickest that I've ever been in my adult life. Wait a minute. You've only had the flu once? Yes. I've only, well, as an adult, like I'm not, uh, like forget everything in my childhood. Only one? I feel like I got to stop licking things. (laughs) (laughs) I've had bad colds before. And I might have had bad colds that I described as the flu, but once I'd actually had the flu, I was like, no, that was a whole different thing. I think I did miss an entire week of work. I'm also pretty sure I got it from someone who came to work with it, which I have not quite forgiven them for. Um, <laughs> like that was, it was a, I was very, it was a very frustrating time to be sick. I missed uh, the birth of a friend's baby because I was at home with the flu. There was no possible way I could go see them in the hospital. Like, that was just my own personal frustration. But, yeah, that's that's the sickest that I've ever been as a grown adult. Yeah, I've had one other flu that was a close second to the one I had in January, which was actually back in 2000. I've had others in the interim, but that one in two, like, it was literally the new year turnover to 2000. So while some people were still having Y2K panic, I was like, Mm -hmm. will food ever go down again? Oh, no. (laughs) It's a very different panic going on. (laughs) uh, I had a runner-up upper respiratory infection one time that made me almost as sick. Um, and I missed three or four days of work, but that was a different thing. Like that was a, a bacterial upper respiratory infection that I was on antibiotics for, not influenza. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever I had in January was just, I was like a limp rag of a human. At one point I got real ambitious and thought I was going to go make myself something to drink. And about 15 minutes later, Brian walked in the kitchen and just kind of found me slumped into the sink. It was like, what yeah. are you doing? <laughs> Let's get you back to bed. (laughs) Uh, But I'm fine now. Uh, So enough about that. When did you realize that this was like a significant thing? So that's a weird question. It is. Because um, I, back in April of 2019, bought tickets to go on the Jonathan Colton cruise, Mm -hmm. uh, which was scheduled to depart from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, on March 7th of 2020. Um, so especially in February and March, I like I, a lot of other people I know, we were keeping a really close eye on what was happening, especially as cruise ships started to make headlines for having huge outbreaks and quarantines on board and things like that. So we still went on this trip. We went on the trip uh, knowing that there were serious things happening in uh, in China and in Italy and in some other, like, specific parts of the U.S. Um, but, like, we had done sort of this really calculated risk assessment for ourselves to figure out, like, wh- okay, what what are the odds of there being an outbreak on our ship? What are the odds of our not being able to get home at the end of the trip? Like, all this stuff. And when we left, the guidance that we were getting from, like, pretty established, reputable medical people was wash your hands, don't touch your face, stay home if you're sick. And we felt pretty okay about going. We got on a ship and we left on March 7th. On March 8th, the U.S. State Department said U.S. citizens don't get on cruise ships. And we were like, welp. Uh, too late. Too late. late. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then it, it got worse from there because then on the 11th, the pandemic was declared And what happened, I mean, it was a fun trip the whole trip. It did feel like coronavirus was present on the whole trip. There was a huge focus 
among everyone about washing our hands. We were sharing our song tips for what song to sing while you're washing your hands. Like, the the crew of the ship seemed extremely focused on making sure that everyone stayed healthy. But after that pandemic declaration and then the ban on flights from Europe and all this other stuff, like, everything became way more serious than it had been. And there was nothing we could do about it. Like, we had uh, already left the only port where we anybody could feasibly have gotten to an international airport to go home. Um, we had other weird things that happened because of weather that, that that changed our whole port schedule. But, like, we were just on the ship. There was nothing we could do about it. Um, people who live in hub cities in the U.S. were, like, offering up crash space to people who were on the cruise from Europe who were worried that they couldn't get home. Like, the whole thing just became a whole lot more urgent. Um, we had left on the trip prepared to go home to come home and self-isolate for 14 days like out of an abundance of caution and we were just sort of prepared for that possibility we were not at all expecting to get home from the cruise and have the entire uh community where we live essentially being on lockdown like I <laughs> was not it was not a thing that that we were like expecting ourselves to out of an abundance of caution keep ourselves away from other people to for 14 days we were not expecting that to be the increasing guidance of more and more cities all around the country I will say I was surprised that you went on the trip yeah because I don't think it's a secret and that I'm outing you to say that you deal with some anxiety. We've talked about it uh-huh. on the show before. It's true. So I, I was really like, there's no way Tracy's getting on that boat. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was a little bit interesting, but I'm glad you talked about the fact because you are a smart person and and your beloved Patrick is also very smart and that you had this very thoughtful risk assessment because I remember seeing like people on Twitter talking about the Joko cruise and being like, I can't believe anybody got on that boat. And I'm like, wait a minute, like one, everybody has to make their own decisions about anything. And two, yeah. the boat was still running. It wasn't like the boat said, we don't really want to do this. And you guys like stormed the captain's quarters and made him do it. It was right. a functioning ship. Yeah, we did get off the last cruise for at least a month right. when we got off the boat. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I kind of compare it to, uh, I've, I don't know if I've talked about it on this show as much before, but for a really long time, I was terrified of airplanes. Like, I had been uncomfortable with them, and then I had a bad experience. And I did not get on a plane at all for more than a decade. Um, and, like, I would have nightmares when there were air travel incidents in the news. Like, it was just a whole huge thing. Um, and I knew rationally that being on a plane was much safer than being in a car. And that there are, like, whenever something happens on an airplane, it makes huge headlines, but most of the airplanes are fine. And that was also how I sort of felt about the cruise. Like, there were some cruise ships that had huge problems, but most of the cruise ships were fine. (laughs) And so um, I also uh, made that decision uh, under, like, I, if, if we had had the same direction that we're having now, like if everybody was social distancing and needing to stay six feet away from other people and all that stuff, we would not have gone on the trip. Um, If the state of things on the day we got back had been in place a week earlier, we wouldn't have gone. And a lot of people that I know wouldn't have gone, but it it wasn't. And everything seemed a lot more manageable when we got on there. And honestly, we felt, I heard this among so many people who were on that trip with us. We felt a lot safer on the cruise ship 
where everyone we ran into was making a determined effort to wash hands and stay away from, or like not touch other people, <laughs> like not get into people's personal space and to try to keep everybody on board safe and healthy. We felt so much safer in that environment than we did getting off the ship and going to the Fort Lauderdale airport where somebody in Terminal 3 Gate F10 was coughing and coughing and coughing and coughing all over their tablet and all over their table and not even bothering to cover it. And I was like, I feel like I have just undone (laughs) the last week of care aboard the cruise ship by being around this inconsiderate person who is not even covering their mouth. Yeah. Um, All right. On that peppy note, uh, we're going to pause for just a second. uh, And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, viewing this through the lens of of history. So, uh, Tracy, I feel like the moment when I realized that this was going to be a thing that was written about in history books is literally, it had occurred to me beforehand, but when I was like, there's no way this is not going to be a significant event that gets discussed and analyzed for hundreds of years was when it was declared a pandemic by the world health organization. That's not something that gets declared a whole lot uh, on occasion. And truthfully, I mean, some of that is uh, my own insulated ignorance, right? Like there are certainly epidemics that happen in other places um, and outbreaks, but it is again, that sort of selfish thing of like, Oh, Oh, this is right on my doorstep. Um, but then when you start to look out with a wider worldview, you realize it is on everyone's doorstep, uh, especially because this is so highly contagious. And one of those things that people can be passing very, very easily without showing any symptoms, which is one of the reasons that I mentioned that in our, uh, pet and Kofor episode. Oh, right. <laughs> that, that was, uh, something that, that was being established as a, a real thing about contagion when he was working. And I, I, of course you, I wrote our episode on the, the 1918 influenza. Uh, so you have studied that, mm-hmm. but it is one of those things where I think we can't help ourselves. And I'm sure anyone else who studies history, who is a professional historian cannot help, but consider what this is going to look like in the future. Yeah. Uh, I, I know a lot of people are really reluctant to try to make predictions based on the past, but it, like, there are also parallels that we can see in the past, uh, versus things that are happening right now, for sure. It's so, uh, we are going to have that 1918 flu episode as a Saturday classic, um, I haven't re-listened to it in a while, and I just sort of skimmed through the outline, and it, It was one of those things that I looked at and I was like, wow, if we were recording this episode now, there are various things um, that like might have been approached differently Uh, because uh, I know I one of the things that you sort of see floating around on Facebook and Twitter and whatever uh, is people who feel like everyone is overreacting um, and saying things like uh, like the 1918 flu killed however many millions of people, and this is not that. And it's like, well, okay, also, the 1918 flu lasted well into 1919. We're only a couple months into all this. Like, you can't really compare what's happening in this moment to what happened well over a year into a totally different pandemic. But at the same time, there were lots of communities in 1918 who were doing things like 
canceling public gatherings and trying to adjust public transit schedules so that they wouldn't be as crowded and, like, similar steps to some of the things that are happening right now. Um, And so I've seen more things recently about, like, how cities that canceled all their public events fared the 1918 flu versus ones that didn't. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think those are pretty predictable, um, probably data sets, right? Like, Yeah. Uh, lower incidence of contagion when people are not exposing themselves to everything. Um, I recently, as you know, did a TEDx at Emory University. And the whole premise of it was that we are often, in many ways, reliving things in history that are reliving things that are very similar to what has gone before in history. And in that case, I used several examples. Um, I talked a little bit about the butter versus margarine thing and how in some ways that is similar to what you and I have talked about uh, with the beef industry today being very chagrined about sort of the the evolution of plant-based meat substitutes that are getting more and more like beef. And so there are similar litigation type issues going on um, as well as a couple of other historical examples. And my whole premise was that if we're cognizant of the fact that we are living through things that will be viewed by future historians, we might become a little bit more thoughtful about our choices and about these little sort of messages that we're sending to the future about how people live today and how they they chose to handle things and whether or not they looked back and learned from history rather than just forging ahead without thinking about things in that way. Uh, that all happened before this. Um, that talk was at the very beginning of February. So the the coronavirus existed, but was not at this level. I think at that point, there was still probably a perception among the a lot of the American public. I don't want to presume on anybody's um, behalf, but that this was going to be a thing. We knew it was already affecting China very heavily. And Italy, to a degree, I think, had started to hit the the statistics in the news. But I think there was a perception that like, this is happening in those places. It yeah. Will, it will peter out before it gets here. Yeah. And I think um, some of that perception may have been fueled. I mean, some of it's probably wishful thinking and some of it is just not being connected and tuned in to what, what all was happening. Um, but I think it might have also been fueled by other epidemics, not pandemics, that have happened within people's memory, like SARS or Ebola, that were um, really, uh, like, like emphasized in the news and that in some places people got really panicky about. And then those did not blossom into global pandemics, in part or like in some cases, it's because like the the way the disease spread did not turn out to be as uh, as contagious as was expected or or whatever. But in a lot of cases, it's because medical professionals and communities took steps to stop the spread of the thing. Like we took actual steps to stop all of these uh, diseases and and that kept them from becoming uh, pandemics. And one of the points that I've seen made, Um, over and over in in this particular pandemic that we're living in is that when you take the kind of steps that are necessary to stop the spread of a disease like this, the goal is the disease doesn't spread and you save a lot of people's lives. But the way it will be interpreted is 
They said this was going to be a nightmare, and it wasn't a nightmare. Obviously, everyone overreacted. Um, It's not really that everyone overreacted. It's that the correct steps were taken to stop the thing, and we stopped it. It's that they reacted appropriately. (laughs) Yeah, and then also, honestly, I'd rather overreact to have it not turn out to be uh, uh, as much of an issue than not react and have it have a death toll in the millions. Yeah, I I feel like it is one of those things where we have all seen the footage of the people on spring break being foolish. Uh, it there is also that perception of, and I, I I wish I could time travel a little bit and see how this will be written about by future historians. There is that perception among a lot of people of only old people and young people and the infirm. So I'm fine. One, that's kind of sucky because you're saying that those the, the elderly and people with pre-existing conditions are not worth worrying about. And two, that's not the case at all. We're seeing more and more instances of people who appeared perfectly healthy who do not survive this. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, my, I don't know that I would say it's a fear, but I have to sort of shake my head and be a little chagrined that there are going to be a lot of reports in the future of how very foolish we were on mass. Yeah. Well, and that's where um, some of the historical parallels that come up for me in all this. I mean, there's the obvious parallel of previous pandemics, but then there are also things like the great famine in Ireland and how one of the reasons that the great famine in our Ireland was so bad was that um, Parliament took this very laissez-faire attitude toward the whole thing. And rather than taking steps that could have saved people's lives, it was more like, uh, those aren't the people that matter, though. Um, and some of the stuff that has been going around uh, uh, among politicians here in the U.S. as of when we're recording this, which is March 24th at 10.37 in the morning, um, has a similar tone to like, well, the people that matter will be okay. And uh, that's not okay. Uh, Yeah. I mean, there is this growing discussion right now about whether or not it is more important to save the economy by kind of letting this thing run its course and potentially kill off a lot of people so we can get businesses back up and running, which um, to me is very troubling. There are clearly some people who support that line of thought. Right. Well, apart from the moral implication of that, we've also seen in previous pandemics, like with the the Black Death in, uh, in Europe, which killed such a huge proportion of the population, the economic effects of that afterward were devastating. It was like there wasn't enough labor to bring in the harvest. And if there's not enough labor to bring in the harvest, like, people are not eating. And so um, we actually got a a question about that one time. We made a comment about the labor shortage after the Black Death, and someone was like, I don't understand how that works. Like, if there weren't as many people to feed, you don't need as many crops. And it's like, well, sure, but if if you don't have enough people to harvest the crops, it doesn't matter that there are fewer people to feed. The crops are not coming in. Yeah. Uh, We are going to pause once again and have a a little sponsor break, and then we will come back and conclude our discussion about living through history. Uh, Tracy, you had mentioned to me that one of the things that you were thinking about in the context of this discussion was 
um, other historical events that we have lived through in our lives that we recognize now are historical events and perhaps did at the time, but that this feels a little bit different. Yeah, that's something that I've seen a lot of people say on on Twitter or otherwise express in some way that people sort of are like, I suddenly feel like I'm living through history. I'm living through a thing that's going to be in history books. And I was thinking about uh, like other times in my life that I have felt like I'm witnessing a historical moment. And it's like my very youngest political or historical memory, I have a vague, uh, vague memory of Ronald Reagan being elected president. And then I also have a very shady early memory of the assassination attempt on Ronald Reagan in 1981. And then I have very clear and vivid memories of um, like the Chernobyl and Challenger disasters in 1986. I sort of have the uh, general sense of living through the end of the Cold War in the 80s. And like a lot of things that are more specific moments in history, like obviously uh, 9-11 and the the dot-com bubble collapse and the housing crisis um, that started here in the U.S. in 2008. Like, all of these things, wars that even if I knew someone was serving in also felt kind of far away from me. Uh, So a lot of stuff that felt like either isolated or something that felt removed from me in some way. Yeah. Um, But this pandemic more feels like a global thing that is... Uh, involving much of the world, and I I feel like it's going to involve the whole world for a prolonged time that I am living through, rather than something I'm kind of witnessing that's not directly touching me. Yeah. Plus, we really have no sense of the timeline. No, right. Um, and that that's the thing that has has looped around when I have talked to people about the 1918 flu. Is like we know how bad that was because the end happened and we were right. we have all the it. data yeah yeah we're not at the end of of what's happening now um i also have really felt extraordinarily fortunate through all of this i mean number one you and i have jobs that uh, i was already working at home and you and our producer casey were able to pivot to working at home really quickly and so we're incredibly lucky in that way oh yeah my mom's parents grew up during the great depression And I remember my grandmother telling stories about when she was a kid and not having any toys to play with. So she was playing um, with, like, a stick or whatever. (laughs) Like, uh, that actually might be my other grandparents who grew up on a tobacco farm and played with tobacco sticks like they were hobby horses or or things like that. But, um, like, I heard a lot of stories from my grandparents about about living in the Great Depression and growing up in the Great Depression and having just a a scarcity. Because in addition to the fact that my grandmother was growing up during the Great Depression, she was a preacher's daughter, so the family already didn't have a ton of money um, before the Great Depression even started. Um, My dad's dad served in World War II and Korea and was deployed when my dad was really little. And that was one of the things that influenced my parents' decision uh, not to, to wait after they got married to have children until my dad was... Um, out of the army because they uh, they got married during the Vietnam War. And so by comparison to all of that, like my life has been incredibly easy. And I, I know that there have been times, uh, especially in my younger life, when we had to be really frugal um, because money was tight around our house, but we still had 
food and we had a roof over our head and I like I had a stable family that was invested in my brothers and my well-being. Um, so the fact that for me personally, this seems so different from all of that, I feel like I've been extraordinarily lucky. Yeah. Uh, ditto. I, I have noticed a, a number of people talking about uh, the people that are handling this quite well, of which I would kind of count myself, which is not to say that I am not keenly aware of the risk and danger of the time we're living in, but like isolation is totally fine by me, um, I'm, <laughs> which shocks me because I am very extroverted, but I'm having a delightful time at home. It's interesting because people um, that have, this has come up on social media. I have also been talking to my therapist about it. People that grew up in more chaotic homes tend to be able to ride this out a little bit more easily without as much you know, mental and emotional stress because uh, they're a little bit used to it. I have said on the show before, my dad is career Air Force. He was one of those people that would sometimes just vanish for long periods of of time. Like he would wake me up in the night and be like, I'm leaving and I can't tell you where I'm going, but I love you and I don't know when I'm coming back. Bye. Um, so there's part of me that's just very used to instability and like not knowing what the future holds, which has been uh, in some ways, little did I know it was preparing me for this. It certainly made me a very independent person, which has served me very well at numerous points on the curve. Uh, but this is an interesting thing in that I think because even for those of us, like you said, that have lived through these other significant moments, I very clearly remember the Challenger disaster, as well as Reagan's assassination attempt, because I thought my brother was lying to me when I walked in the door from school and he told me it had happened. I was like, you're a liar! Because um, I was a snooty nine-year-old who thought my much older brother was stupid. Um <laughs> But one, in a lot of those cases, those were like events that happened. They may have been a shock, but we started to move into the the recovery of it pretty quickly. Or as you said, they were at enough of a distance that we were processing it without the immediacy. This has been a, a phase where seeing how people in my life are dealing with it has been enlightening and sometimes more upsetting than my own experience. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, I will not out anybody's stories but i have had numerous friends who have reached out and said like i think i'm having a panic attack i'm very upset i might be having a heart attack i'm not sure and and i have literally had that from three different people one of whom is so completely relaxed at all times that knowing she was upset was more upsetting to me than anything i was feeling and i think this is not uncommon right we are going to be dealing with this emotionally as an experienced group trauma for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, I, neither of us has children, but like one of the things that my friends who are parents have talked about is how hard it is to explain to their kids. Like, no, you can't go hug your friend across the street. No, you can't. And they're, some of these kids, especially if they're in a, a one child household are feeling lonely about it. Like they're, they're used to social interaction. That's an important part of child development. And so I think we'll be, sorting out what this has really done to the globe socially for a long time. Yeah. I similarly, like my, my parents were already really isolated before this started um, because the world is not accessible to my mom, basically. Right. Uh, it's really hard for them to get out of the house and do anything. And then um, as is the case with a lot of people who, uh, get older and are mostly in their homes, like they're, 
their peer group also getting older, mostly in their homes. Like they don't get as many visitors as they used to. So I had this whole conversation with my dad about uh, my mom's sisters wanting to come visit her and my dad and me both feeling like that was not a great idea and trying to figure out how to protect everybody involved if they did make this visit. And like at the same time, I recognize that having that kind of conversation is uh, not nearly as dire as a lot of the other uh, conversations I've seen people having to have about like not knowing uh, what's going to happen to their paycheck and whether they're going to be able to pay the rent and buy groceries and um, whether the company they work for is going to be able to weather this and all kinds of other stuff. Um, so it's it's one of those things where simultaneously I I feel like I have been incredibly lucky, like I said earlier, to, to yeah. be in a place where I can mostly make this work. And I I my heart goes out to the folks who are in so much of a bigger struggle and so much more risk than I am. Um, one of my friends is a nurse and I am worried about her every day. Um, and it's, I, it's one of those things where I don't, I I don't know, uh, what's going to happen, uh, with that. Yeah. Yeah. I think instead of doing a listener mail on this one, one of the things that I wanted to really, really, I, I, I'm not an expert and I'm not the first person you will hear this from, um, but make a note one to thank all of the people who are deemed essential and can't stay home like medical professionals who are at great risk every single day. Mail carriers, the people who are running takeout, the people who are delivering groceries, the people who are stocking shelves in grocery stores, the sanitation workers, yes. the utility workers. And- yes. There are so many people that are out there doing their jobs in very dangerous times. Um, please be nice to them. <laughs> uh, if you if you can do something nice for them, great. That's tricky, I know, to figure out. Um, one of the things we had done, we ordered a bunch of cookies from a bakery that was going to have some problems because they had stocked up and could not do an event. And they come in little packs of three. They're sealed from the bakery. And so we have tried to give those out to like our mail carrier and and FedEx drivers, et cetera, if they will take them. It is not enough. It's like a tiny, tiny gesture. Um, I, I hope we figure out a way to do more, including uh, everyone revisiting how those people get paid, because a lot of times those are not high, highly paid positions. No. But those are the people that we are realizing are essential just to keep our daily lives running. The other thing that I just want to make sure people do is to it sounds very hippy dippy but be gentle with yourself none of us really know how we will react day to day because some days you wake up and it's very sad and upsetting and other days you wake up feeling fine and that almost feels guilty it's tricky yeah one of the things that i've noticed um next door for my neighborhood has been blessedly low on racism in the time that I've been part of, um, but very vocal about people not picking up after their dogs. Um, I get it, but suddenly the months-long conversation about the dog poop has been replaced with people saying, I'm healthy and have a car. If you need groceries, call me, Um, which I applaud and respect 
I am on, I think, day 10 of this, like, 14 days of intentionally isolating ourselves after getting off of a cruise ship. So after we get to the end of that 14 days, I think my my, my spouse and I will be talking about, okay, uh, what, what should we do now? Um, we've been banking donations and things, but, like, is there something else we can and should be doing? Right. Um, when we feel like we we are less of a, a potential risk to other people. Right. Um, so we'll see. I also want to thank our listeners. We recently put out a playlist of uh, of sort of episodes to maybe lighten the mood and make the time pass a little faster. Um, and I, I was a little nervous about doing that because I, I know that when folks uh, have something that changes in their podcast feed, it can be a big deal. Um, and overwhelmingly, folks have been so gracious and so kind um, and have checked in on us and asked us how we are doing. Um, and I just wanted to thank everybody for that. Yes, absolutely. And also just for, uh, you know, listening and being with us over the years and sticking with us through this weird, weird time. Um, and I, I, like I said, be gentle with yourself and others as much as you can and just recognize that we're all in this together. And I, I hope that everyone who hears this is safe and sound and makes it through as unscathed as possible. As you said, we speak from a very, very fortunate position since our jobs, even within like the entertainment industry and media, we are in a, a position of great fortune because we can keep going. Whereas like people that work in film and television have had to shut down. Um, so for everyone listening to this, know that we are very grateful for the position we are in. We are very grateful for you and we hope you are very, very safe um, and that you are taking care of yourself, uh, you know, helping others if you can. And if you can't, that's fine. Just get through and meet us on the other side and we'll have a huge party somewhere. That's my big plan. I'm planning the after parties right now. <laughs> That's like part of a mental health thing for me. Where I'm like, oh, the outfits I'm going to wear to these huge, huge celebrations. <laughs> yeah. Over. Once it's safe for us to be within six feet of each other. Yes, it's going to be a blast. I, I really do, again, want to just reiterate our thanks and that we hope you stay safe. And we will all get through this together one way or another. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. <laughs>